Amen. Good morning. Welcome, everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. It's my privilege to welcome you. All of you in cafe, anybody joining us by audio or video podcast, we love you. Thank you for being a part of this worship service. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, everybody. Matthew chapter 28. Kicking off today our world missions emphasis. Every year we do this, and it is uh, one of my favorite times of year. I was talking to a fellow pastor a while back. He's from a smaller church, but not that much smaller than our church. He was just asking, how in the world do you, how do you get your church to care about missions? How do you get them to give and support missions? And, and, and I said, I, you know, I, I don't know. And honestly, I, I don't know because this is the church that discipled me. Uh, I arrived at Woodburn Baptist Church with my family when I was about 16 years old. When I got here, this church loved missions. This church loved missions, and you have taught me to love missions. You have discipled me. So I don't really know how to counsel another pastor and how to lead a church to love missions. This church has led me. But the pastor said, uh, you know, last year, for example, we had, a, we had our, our missions offering. It was really disappointing. I said, well, brother, how much, how much, how much did y'all collect? He said, $250. I said, brother, that's good. $250, that, that's actually pretty good. That, I wouldn't be ashamed of that. That's good. He said, well, let's just put it this way. I know where 200 of it came from. Oh, yeah. He was saying he gave 200, you know, so then the whole church all together gave 50. So, yeah, okay, that, yeah, that kind of stinks. I didn't say it, but, yeah, that's, that, 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 that's not good. There are churches that just care more about themselves. They care more about their own building. They care more about the sidewalks and the pews and everything else than they care about the Great Commission. And I thank you, Woodburn. We get to enter into this world missions emphasis as a celebration. I don't have to drum up your enthusiasm for missions. I don't have to teach you how to love missions. You have discipled me to love missions, and I thank you for that. Our offering will be collected in two weeks. The gift for Jesus to the world, our goal is $55,000. It's a lot of money. Uh, it's, it's a lot of money, uh, but, but God has called us to do great work, and, and at Woodburn Baptist, we tend to do that work faithfully. So be thinking about how you, how you will give, what you want to give. If you're married, talk to your spouse or your banker, whoever it is you have to talk to. Case and I still need to have that conversation. Uh, giving to missions is joyful for us. We, we love that. We got our kid through college, and, and after that, we started talking about what would we do with the money that we were supporting a kid with. And, and for us, it was a joyful decision to support missions in a bigger way. Uh, we just love missions. And again, I remind you, that's not bragging. You all have taught me to love missions in that way. So I, I encourage you to discuss and talk with your family and, and give uh, give uh, your biggest Christmas gift to Jesus this year for missions. Matthew chapter 28. Let's go right to it. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. It's not like we haven't read this before. Let's read it again. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Yeah, what's that called? The Great Commission. Yeah, the, the, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Wow, all the nations. Go into the whole world. That's a Great Commission. When I was a kid growing up in the 1970s, that yeah, makes me the, the oldest man in the world. I know the, the kids are going, 1970, wow. 
Uh, now, I, I was born in 1965, raised in the 70s. When I was a kid, I would climb up into the roof uh, in the barn loft of my dad's barn, and I would step up on the tallest hay bale, and I would stand like this, and I would go, Shazam! <laughs> no. Why would I do that? Anybody, you, you have to be as old as I am to appreciate that. But why did I do that? Anybody know? I, I would step out on the hay and I'd go, Shazam! Like, like that. Why? Yeah. Captain Marvel. Yeah. Taylor? Yeah. You are nowhere nearly old enough to know Captain Marvel. Do you know Captain Marvel? You're a nerd. Yeah. You have to be either an old or just a nerd. Yeah, Captain Marvel. Yeah, the show on the Saturday mornings was called Shazam. Billy Batson was this kid who rode around in a Winnebago with his mentor, and his mentor was named Mentor. Isn't that weird? His mentor was named Mentor. Yeah, yeah, y- y'all heard me right. Mentor was the name of the mentor. Mentor was his name. And Billy Batson just rode around the Winnebago with his mentor named Mentor. And then every now and then they would come across uh, a bad guy, evil, having its way in the world. And Billy Batson would step back behind the Winnebago and he'd go, Shazam! And then lightning would strike him. And he would turn into Captain Marvel. And then at that point, he had super speed. He had super power. He was amazing. He was a superhero. I grew up in the age of superheroes. We had Superman. We had Batman. We had Captain Marvel. We had Aquaman. Uh, and then the, if you stayed up late on Sunday night, we had, we had the Bionic Man. That was awesome. We had the Bionic Woman. Do you remember her? Man, I was so in love with her, y'all. Uh, Casey, you're lucky. I met you before I met Jamie Summers, y'all. Man, I had a picture of her inside my notebook in like fourth grade. Man, Jamie Summers was the bionic woman, Wonder Woman. Now, I would go Shazam, but my sister would turn around in circles <laughs> and like Wonder Woman. You remember? She would twirl, and she would turn into Wonder Woman or, or Almighty Isis. It's the same sort of thing. We grew up in, in an age where superheroes were, were, were sort of the thing. A superhero was a person who was ordinary, an ordinary person who somehow became gifted with super strength or, or super speed. They, they could fly or something like that. I, I loved that, and I wanted to be a superhero. I wanted super strength or, or, or some sort of superpower. I wanted to fly. More than once, I jumped off those bells, hey, thinking, if I just go airborne, I could just, you know, leave the ground. Yeah, no, no. Boom. That's the thing. You, at one point, dream of being a superhero who might go out and, 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 and conquer evil or rescue people in distress or right wrongs, that sort of thing. But as you grow, you pretty soon realize that the world is not Saturday morning television. You understand? It's, it's not like that at all. Now, indeed, certain things are true. There is evil in the world, and there are bad guys and bad girls. And there's absolutely people in distress who need to be rescued. All of that is real. But superheroes aren't real. And superpowers aren't real. As many times as I stood on top of the hay bales, I said, Shazam! You know, I, I am not in any way super. I, I am ordinary. I don't do extraordinary things. I do ordinary human things just like you. Which brings us to the Great Commission. 
This commission that that Christ himself gives to all of his disciples, not just the super ones, not just the heroic, the missionaries, the preachers. No, he told his disciples, all of his disciples, and gave them a very, very large commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations, all the nations that he's speaking to, to, to guys, men and women, who at this point in history, there are no airplanes, there's no Uber Understand that there are no uh, mass transportation of any kind. I mean, anywhere you went, you walked. And, and he's telling people who walk, people with no superpowers whatsoever, he's telling them to go into the entire world and make, make of every person on the planet a disciple of Jesus. That is an impossible commission. It's, and yet at the same time, it's Jesus who gives us this, this great commission I'm telling you, it's sort of overwhelming to even think about it. Even in our day and age, with the resources we have, with the ability we have to travel, the ability we have to reach every corner of the globe with technology, it is still an overwhelming endeavor to imagine reaching the whole world. I mean, let's be really honest. Woodburn Baptist Church has been in Woodburn, Kentucky for 150 years. Woodburn is not that large. Jesus said we're going to take the gospel to the uttermost ends of the earth, right? We haven't even gotten to the end of Three Springs Road yet. In 150 years, we haven't reached the uttermost ends of Woodburn. I can walk to the other side of Woodburn, y'all. But we haven't quite done it yet. As I say, in some ways it's bewildering, it's it's overwhelming, it's it just helps us to get in touch with our inadequacy. And this is sort of the, the paradox of the Great Commission here. Our sense of human inadequacy doesn't change the fact that Jesus calls us to change the world. The fact that we're ordinary people, an ordinary church. The, the fact that we do not have any sort of superpowers, the fact that it's just us and, and what we have in our hands and, and our willingness and our obedience and, and all of that. Still, it doesn't seem like we have everything that we would need to change the world. And yet it doesn't change the fact that Jesus has called us to change the world. Jesus has called us to, to change the world. Now, when people like you and me hear the Great Commission, there is this sort of Um, I think in some ways it's subconscious, but it's a logic that we think through, and it is the logic that allows us to stay in our place and do nothing. And the logic sort of goes like this. To change the world takes a great person. That's what we would all say. To change the world, to be a person who could change the world, that would be a great person, a person of great influence, a, a person of some sort of great consequence. I am not a great person. That's the next thing you would tell yourself. To change the world would require a great person. I am not a great person. None of us is a great person. We're all ordinary people. Uh, We have different levels of intelligence, different levels of courage, different levels of everything. But we are all still plain as cornbread around here. Ordinary people. To change the world takes a great person. I am not a great person. Therefore, there's nothing I can do. Understand that logic? It is absolutely perfect logic. It makes perfect sense. And if we were talking about anything else in all the world, it would make perfect sense. And this would be your your great excuse. To change the world takes a great person. I'm not a great person. Therefore, there's nothing I can do. However, while you may 
actually have pretty good logic here. It's, it's very, very bad theology. It's really not very good thinking as a Christian because there are several flaws here because we haven't factored in certain things. In the first chapter of Acts, verse 8, when Jesus says to all of his disciples, I'm, I'm going to give you power. You, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Do you understand? It's not so much that I'm a great person, but, but something happens to me. It's not that I have this superpower in myself, but Jesus himself has promised you will have power. You will have power. And it is supernatural power. It is absolutely power to do what I cannot do on my own. It's power to accomplish what this church could not accomplish apart from the Holy Spirit. We do have power. Jesus looked at ordinary people and he promised them extraordinary power. You will be my witnesses, he says, with my power to the uttermost ends of the earth. You will and you will be empowered to do so. Now understand, here's, here's the other part of what we don't always factor in. You're not going to do this by yourself. It's true that changing the world w- w- would require greatness, and, and you and I don't have greatness, but at the same time, we're not doing this by ourselves. See, this is sort of the flaw in the thinking of my generation. Remember, we grew up with Captain Marvel and Superman and Batman and the Lone Ranger. Now, as I grew up, superheroes were always these lone, courageous men. Now, Batman had Robin, but nobody ever wanted to be Robin. Understand, Robin was just there. Robin wasn't really tough. Robin always got tied up by the Joker, and Batman had to rescue Robin. You understand? Robin is just in the way. The Lone Ranger had Tonto, but Tonto's not the Lone Ranger. You understand? I mean, in our day growing up, if you were a superhero, man, you did it by yourself. You went out there by yourself, and, and, and you, you used your, your, your bat belt, or, or you used your, you know, whatever superpowers you had in your hands, but you did it by yourself. That's the cool thing about the generation coming up now, because they don't think in terms of this lone superhero. It started with my son's generation, and I noticed it right away on Saturday morning television. They did not have Captain Marvel. Instead, they had what? Power Rangers. Power Rangers. And what were the Power Rangers? It's a group. It's a team. And they all are different, and they have different abilities and different superpowers. But when you put that together, that team is able to do amazing things. Now, look what they've done with all of my childhood superheroes now. They've lumped them together. Now you have the Justice League. And the Avengers, right? You're putting all these superheroes together as if all along the Hulk just needed Wonder Woman with him. You understand? And then you throw in Wolverine. You know, you come at this as a team. I know that it's not the way you and I as older folks were taught to think about superheroes. But I think there's something about this generation's thinking. It's a little closer to what the church is. And especially when it comes to thinking about the Great Commission. My generation, we sort of grew up thinking about Lottie Moon. She was a superhero. She was like the Wonder Woman of missions. Lottie Moon is a Southern Baptist missionary, an amazing woman who literally gave her life in China for the sake of the gospel. 
Lottie went out there all by herself, you all. She was a very controversial figure in her day. And we don't tell that part of the story because it's embarrassing to us. Embarrassing for the simple way that we make her a saint and a hero now. But in her day, she was not always exactly well thought of because she was a woman out there doing what people weren't exactly sure women could do. It's just that there weren't any men who wanted to take her place. I mean, seriously, no men would take her place. Lottie Moon once famously said, I find it so hard to believe that God has called hundreds and hundreds of pastors in the state of Virginia, but only one woman for the whole nation of China. Interesting, huh? We were raised with Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong and these women who would go out and serve. And, and we were taught to give our money in, in their name and, and in their honor. But we still thought of missionaries as these lone heroes who would go out into the, into the great, you know, uncivilized parts of the world and give their lives for the sake of the gospel. And, and truly, that's what they've done. And truly, that's what some still do. But when Jesus says, you must go, you must make disciples, he's not just handpicking a couple of superheroes out from among us. He's not just talking about one or two who are going to live lives on mission and live these lives of adventure and sacrifice. No, he's talking about every single one of us. It's not that Lottie Moon was ever supposed to do it by herself, you all. She's supposed to have a team, the Justice League, the Avengers. It's called the church. And we all do this together. When Jesus said, go into all the world, understand, there's no one person who can go into the whole world. He's talking about all of us together. All of us together are going to go in all the places that we go. And in, in the process of all of us going to all the places that we go, the entire world gets covered. The entire world gets to hear the gospel. But it takes all of us together. And you're included in this. I know you're not an extraordinary person. I'm not either. Woodburn's not an extraordinary church. First time Brian Ahern ever came to Woodburn. You know, Brian is our partner in Perry, Oklahoma. We love you guys. Brian first visited Woodburn, and the only, only part of Woodburn Brian had ever seen was this right here. You know, like this video screen is all he had seen. So when Brian got to Woodburn, he got out of his car in the parking lot, and he said... Your church is in the middle of a cornfield. <laughs> I thought, shut up, I've been to Perry, Oklahoma, man. What are you bragging about, man? I've been to Perry. What is Perry? Yeah, yeah. Church is in, y'all, have you, you ever stopped to think about it? Our church is in the middle of a cornfield. It really, really is. It, it really is. We're in the middle of a cornfield. And God has called us, a church in the middle of a cornfield, to do our part to fulfill the Great Commission, to go into all of the world. We're not an extraordinary church, but understand, we have extraordinary power from the Holy Spirit, and we still have a Great Commission. You start where you are. You start in your own cornfield. Understand? The bottom line is, you're not really going to do this Yourself, it's, it's not really just about one church or one person at, at all. But, but at the same time, you got to start somewhere. Everybody has to start somewhere. Every one of us has to start somewhere. And I would say the place you start is with yourself. 
You, you start with yourself. The gospel has life-changing, world-changing power, and it is the power of the gospel that will change the world. It's not us. It's nothing about us. But before the gospel can change the world, but before you can go out and proclaim a gospel with power to change the world, the gospel has to change you. So you start with yourself. I would simply say you begin with your own heart and then you work outward. It starts with you. Sadly, there really are people who sometimes feel like they're called to go on a mission trip or, or, or go out on the mission field. And these are people who, who have hardly, hardly had any exposure to the gospel themselves. I'm not saying they haven't been in church. I'm just saying being in church and having your life changed by the gospel, those are two separate things. And, and you need to be a person who's had your life changed by the gospel. I mean, we really can't send people with half of a cup full out into the world, you know, trying to slosh it out. I mean, it should be overflowing from your life, rivers of, of joy overflowing from, from Christ in your heart. It's very, very difficult. If you're a person that's hardly even, you know, a very lukewarm Christian going out into the world, I'm saying you've got to start with yourself. You need to let the gospel do its work in your own heart. What, what's that old, it's kind of a catchy, hippie kind of saying, you've got to be the change you want to see in the world. Well, honestly, if the gospel is what you want to see changing the world, you need to first, you need to be that change yourself. Let the gospel work on you. Start with yourself. And, and let Christ have his way with you. That means you just surrender every part of yourself to him. You, you, your, your family life, your, your life as a father, your life as a mother, your life as a spouse, your, your marriage, your life at work which is the most difficult part for so many of us. Your life at work, you surrender that to Christ. Your life at school, your thought life, your financial life, how you deal with your money. You give your house and all of your possessions. Every part of you has to belong to Christ. This is what it looks like when the gospel begins to take hold of you. There is no part of you that you could separate and say that it does not belong to Christ. You have to surrender to him. This is how the gospel works. It's not simply walking an aisle and taking the preacher's hand. It's not simply occupying a seat on Sunday or listening to sermons on, on the Internet. I, I'm telling you, it, it's about a personal surrender, a, a dramatic kind of life change. And you need to experience that. That's how the gospel works. And then you begin to work outward. As the gospel begins to work in your life, you begin to work outward. And, and understand, if you believe that it's, it's peace that the world needs, then you need to make sure that Christ begins to work his peace in your life. You need to be a presence of peace in your world. You understand? You can't say, oh, man, this world is rough, man. We just need to pray for peace in Jerusalem. We need peace in the Middle East. And yet you don't have peace in your house. You know, it's just arguing. I mean, Thanksgiving was like a war zone at your house. You've got to let the gospel work in, in your life first. And, 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 if, and if the world needs more and more godly families, then we've got to make sure that, that you begin to let the gospel work in your family. You see, it, it works outward from your heart. And, and that's how the world gets changed. But it goes like one heart at a time. And, and we've got to start with your heart. So you just give yourself to Christ. And, and you make sure that there's no part of you, no part of your life that is reserved, that is set apart in such a way where Christ doesn't have access to it. You, you start with your own heart. And, and then you begin to work outward from there. And, and then when you say from there, I'd say you start somewhere. You need to start preaching somewhere. Pastor, am I, I ain't a preacher. I, I can't preach. You can be a witness. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say, you'll be my preachers. So you'll be my witnesses. 
Now, what exactly is a witness? It's, it's a legal term. It's usually a person that you think of in a court of law. A witness is called to do what? Just to tell. Just to tell. To tell what? What they've seen. What they heard. First-hand knowledge. You call a witness because you want an eyewitness. You want somebody who's seen something. Somebody who's heard something. My whole life, I've never been a witness in any kind of court. I've never seen or heard nothing. Ever. However, I am a witness for Christ because I'm an eyewitness to his power. I, I can first off give a witness to the power at work in my life. I don't have to tell you stories about other people. I can talk about the way he's changed my life. I, I know the difference that he makes for me. And, and I've seen him at work in, in your lives, in the lives of my family, the, the, the lives of people that I know firsthand. I, I've seen him work in this church. I know what Jesus can do. I, I know that he lives. I know that all of his promises are true. I know this firsthand. It, it's the life that I live. It's the story that, that I've lived. So for me to be a witness for Christ, it's, it's not something I have to go off in a room and get pumped up for. I mean, what do the apostles say in the book of Acts? We can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard. I mean, some of you are all about the ball games right now. All about, was the Alabama-Auburn game last night? Was that an amazing game? I saw a minute and a half, which is about my limit for sports. It was the last minute and a half. Casey knows me. Casey will call me in for like the last minute and a half of a great game. Because like, wow, that was awesome. And that lasted just about the right amount of time for me. Yeah, but I mean, people get all about sports, all about ball games. And again, I'm missing that hemisphere of the brain. Now, I'm not a sports guy. But I listen to y'all talk. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, people right now wanting to jump out of windows because UK's basketball is going to stink, apparently, this season. I don't know anything about it. No thing about it, but I understand that some of you just have lost your will to live because UK is not going to have a team, you know, and you don't even know, you know, how you get through Christmas. Now, understand, but because you live this stuff, you understand these stories, you, you love it. You know, the high school playoffs, but I mean, I mean, tensions run high. People are all into this. I mean, and, and nobody has to stop and twist your arm to, to get us to tell you about how Franklin Simpson won the game this weekend. I mean, it's all, it's all over. I mean, people just talk about that. Franklin people talking all about it because who expected that? You, you know, it's, it's a kind of a big deal. It's a big deal to you. And because it's a big deal, you just talk about it. I mean, you'll talk about it at the drop of a hat, and you'll drop your own hat. You just want to talk about it. You want to talk about it. I mean, people today talking about Thanksgiving, what you ate. I mean, you talked about it because you lived it. You saw it. You're excited about it. You still got indigestion from it. But you can't be a witness for Jesus. You have nothing to say. I mean, in order to say the name of Jesus, you'd have to, like, go back into your bedroom and, and jot down some notes. Are you kidding me? You ever had to jot down notes to tell us about your grandkids? To jot down notes to tell us about, you know, your sports team? What, what do you mean you don't know what to say? I mean, you don't have any trouble getting started talking about nearly anything else in the world. I mean, stupid stuff. I mean, don't even get you started about the, the combustion engine, you know, and, and why it is that your cars go chick, 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 chick. I mean, you know that noise. You know all about it. You've studied it. You live it. You understand cars. You understand engines and motors and lawnmowers and 
All of that stuff, man. I mean, you can talk about it. Horses, dogs. And people in this congregation talk about hunting. I mean, crazy about hunting. Know all about exactly where you're supposed to shoot a deer to drop it on the spot, you know, and then how to slice it up, how to butcher it up. Man, y'all can talk about that for days and days and days. You know this stuff. So somehow the idea of talking about Jesus, you get struck dumb. Nothing to say. Afraid to lift your voice. Afraid to say, don't offend anybody. You love offending UofL fans in the season. <laughs> don't want to offend anybody. Don't want to say Jesus' name. You don't want to offend somebody. I think some things are just too personal to talk about. Politics and religion. What? What? I've seen your Facebook page. There's nothing too personal for you. <laughs> nothing is too personal for you. You will be my witnesses, Jesus said, and, and, and you will receive power to do so. Remember last week we were talking about Jeremiah. He said, I, I can't speak. I can't be your prophet. And God said, the words are already in your mouth. God's not going to ask us to do anything that he doesn't provide everything necessary to get the job done. And this great commission is an overwhelming commission, but just the same. He provides everything that it takes to get the job done. Everything that it takes, he provides. He knows that we are nothing special. He knows that we're only human. He knows that we're ordinary people. He's given us this extraordinary commission, absolutely. And it doesn't frighten him because he knows exactly how it's going to get done. And he knows how to use us. He knows everything about you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows what you're good at. He knows what you're not so good at. But he created you for a purpose in this great commission. You have a part to play in this. When he said go into all the world, he's talking to you. And he's talking to me. N nobody's excused from this. N nobody is accepted from this purpose. What kind of excuses would you offer? I mean, exactly. What, what would you say? Well, I've never been much of a traveler. Jesus said, go into all the world, but I've never really been much of a traveler. Edmondson County is about my limit. I understand. Some of us just don't go places. I mean, this is Woodburn. We live in paradise, y'all. Just nowhere else to go. We got, we got a dollar store now. We don't even have a reason to drive anywhere else. Get it all at the dollar store. I mean, I understand. Some of us, we're not very mobile. We don't go a lot of places, but understand when Jesus said, go into all the world, he wasn't saying that you necessarily have to get your passport stamped, you know, 2,000 times. No. Maybe you've been sent here. Maybe the reason you love your hometown so much is because God put that love in your heart for this place and these people. And if you love this place and these people so much, then you should be walking the streets, beating on the doors, begging people to come to Jesus. Do you love your town or not? And if you say, I don't feel like God's called me to go anywhere, then guess what? You are on your mission field. You don't even have to pack a bag. You just get to come in and out of your house every day for the sake of the gospel, and you'll get the job done. Maybe that's your part. Maybe being right here is your part. You know, one of the interesting things about Woodburn Baptist in this particular season of our life is we have a lot of young people who really want to go. They really want to go. I mean, I have one young man that will walk this aisle every single Sunday begging to go. He wants to go on mission. Understand? And he's not the only one. 
There's so many of our teenagers, so many of our college students who ache to go. And so many of our old folks who don't want to go. Well, I see an arrangement happening here. You understand? Where those of us who want to go are sent by those who say they're not called to go. You know, all of us old people who say that we're too old to travel, you know, every time I get on an airplane, my bowels lock up and I'm just miserable for the whole week. I've heard it. I understand. We don't even want to take you in. We've heard it now. We don't want to take you once you're locking up on us. So why don't you stay home? You share the gospel where you are, but why don't you fund the ones who will go? You say, I'm not the one to go to speak. I'm not the one to go to Berlin. Well, let's just make sure that Rebecca Morgan has everything she needs to stay there. You understand? Let's make sure that those who will go and those who God calls to go, let's make sure they get sent in a big way. We can do that. I mean, if you're not called to go, you're called to stay, then guess what? I think that means that you're called to help send those to go. It's still our responsibility. I mean, it's still our great commission to see that the whole world gets told. And I can't go everywhere, but I can send somebody, and I can help make sure they have what they need when they get there. I mean, it takes money. Everything takes money. It all takes money. Well, Brother Tim, I don't have any money. I ain't got no money. Yeah, those of you, all of you fat cats up there can write checks. Write your checks. I ain't got no money. I don't even know where Christmas will come from. I, I, I get that. I, I understand. I need to remind you, we're a church in the middle of a cornfield. I mean, we have different levels of financial, you know, assets in our congregation, but I don't know a whole lot of rich people here. You know, we've done some amazing things financially in our church over the last 20 years, and it's just happened because God's people gave. You know, when we were across the street, there were about 70 of us in this old 100-year-old building, and we were dreaming about building this building, but we were trying to figure out how we are going to pay for it, and the price tag was getting up close to a million dollars, a million dollars. You know, we almost died. We almost died. And I remember the day we were sitting around a table with some of the older ladies, and one of the ladies actually said, don't we have a doctor or maybe somebody who used to go here or maybe the grandson of somebody who used to go here and maybe they got money and if we wrote them a letter? In other words, don't we have a rich uncle somewhere you know, out there who would help us? Turns out, yo, nobody's got any rich uncles around here. They ain't got, n- nobody's grandson turned out to be a wealthy surgeon and who's going to turn back around and pay for all this, you know? So we just gave. We just started giving. You look around and don't know where in the world the money could come from, but, but God's people just give. We just give joyfully. We just give cheerfully. Now, when I talk this way, I, I hope you understand, I'm not boasting about myself or this church. I'm reminding you, you all discipled me. You taught me this. I was taught to love missions by people like Evelyn Balance and Sarah Sutherland and Dorothy Hollins and Margaret Ann Adams and Ken Cummings and Bill Clark Thomas. You taught me this. That's why it's sort of a joy to be able to talk about it with you now, to celebrate what God has done and to celebrate what God wants to do. You, you start where you are. You start at home. And then you go. 
Now, I know a lot of us, we, we don't think about going, but, but I, I encourage you to. It, it is an amazing day in which we live. You really can travel now. It's really not that hard. It, you may not be up for one of the you know, trips around the world that we take. We take our really big trip next uh, early next year, January, February. It's a big trip, you all. It's nearly two days in the air. I mean, it's a long, long flight. I know everybody can't do that. But, but we have trips planned uh, in Central America. We have trips planned just across the state of Kentucky. I mean, we also do local missions. You can go out into Woodburn. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you that, that there's some opportunity for every single one of us to fulfill this commission Jesus gives us to go. You, you, you go. Wherever it is you go, you, you go with the gospel on your lips. You go with a sense of purpose. You go understanding that your life is not your own and that we don't have all the time in the world and that there are literally people who live and die every day and die and enter into eternity without Christ because they never heard the name of Jesus, y'all. That's on us. That, that, that's on us. And while there may be tribes elsewhere that we can never reach, let's make sure that there are no families in Woodburn that we fail to reach just because we don't manage to knock on the door. I mean, we, we talk about going to Haiti or Indonesia or all around the world, but some of you don't even know your next-door neighbor. There's something profoundly wrong with your understanding of the Great Commission if you've never even gone to your next-door neighbor's door and knocked on the door and told them about Jesus. I mean, there's something broken in your heart if you have no desire to see those right in your path come to know Jesus, we have a great commission. You have a great commission. It's to change the whole world, to take the gospel to the whole world, us. I know it sounds like to change the world, to, to, to fulfill such a great commission would require a great church, but we're not a great church. We're not a great church. We're ordinary church. It, it seems like to change the world, to accomplish this great commission would require great people, and we're not great people. We're just ordinary people. We're extremely ordinary people. Therefore, we conclude there must be not much we can do. And, and that's where you're wrong. We are ordinary, absolutely, but we have a promise from Jesus who said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, uttermost parts of the earth. First verse you ever learned probably was John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Maybe there's a reason why we teach that verse first. Maybe there's a reason why if you know one verse in all the Bible, you know that verse. Maybe nearly everything you need to know is in that verse right there. And the first thing you learn is God loves the world so much. He gave his son to die for it so that whoever, whosoever believes not perish. It, it's a God who loves the world. This God who loves the world so much, he sends us out into that world so that that world will not perish but have everlasting life. This, my friends, is what we call the Great Commission. It's not just for missionaries and preachers and, and Lottie Moon and, and, and celebrities, you know, David Platt. It's not just for people like that. 
It's a commission that belongs to all of us. It's your commission. And you must fulfill it. But pray with me.